This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on that power bill to use technology wisely and to live a more sustainable life. Hey, I'm down at one of my favorite places near my stomping ground where I grew up down here. And I'm in Union City. I'm at BMVW Auto Sales with my friend Mosin Tusi. Cool solar canopy here. Every kind of used EV you could possibly want. Mike, um, one of the things I wanted to talk about in this episode is just how familiar you are with the characteristics of these used EVs. These cars are coming in, often maybe the battery's a little depleted. You've been able to see the pluses and minuses about these used cars, and I know that I'm driving one of your Chevy Volts. You've had a lot of the B Chevy Bolts, and just wanted to pick your brain on what you liked about some of these used cars that are available and why folks maybe should consider getting a used EV instead of a, a new one. Yes, I think for the used market out there, they have some really great deals. Uh, even with depleted batteries, we're still seeing around 80 to 90% on most of these used EVs. And uh, customers are really loving them. We're getting a lot of support from the community on them. And uh, it's just a great way to go for a used vehicle at this time. You know, Mike, I, I I find that people are a little confused about EVs. They don't understand the technology and how it works. Let's take the 2017 Chevrolet Volt that I'm driving. The reason this has been my favorite EV out of the five that I've owned, it'll go on a good day 52 miles on that charge. And that gets me almost to the capital. Um, and then I've got that gas generator in case I've got to go from Atlanta to Savannah. And I can... I can make that work. And so that plug-in hybrid, have you found that customers don't understand it, but once they do, they really like it? Yes, that's correct. A lot of customers come in here and just not aware of what benefits they get from a plug-in hybrid, a little bit of both worlds. So someone new to the EV world, it's a great introduction for them. It gives them a little bit of comfort with the gas, but also gives them the chance to plug in and see how it feels to ride on an electric vehicle and the benefits of that. Mike, I had a 2013 Nissan Leaf and a 2015. That was back in the day when, well, we were learning to live with a 90-mile range car. I know y'all are still selling those cars. And so as you show people the different choices of cars from the from the Volt to the Bolt to the Tesla, why are people still buying these used Nissan Leafs? I think the reason people are still buying the new the used Nissan Leafs is because of they, they're not needing quite the range and the price point actually fits the average person's budget and they're a very well made car. So a lot of people just naturally flock to that before the price range, and it's still a good, great commuter car for the average person. I think about my wife driving our leaf. She was, she was driving 12 miles to her school where she taught first grade, 12 miles back. That's 24 miles. Even if she diverted and went down to the Mall of Georgia you know, for a shopping excursion after school, she still can make it on one single charge. And I guess there are a lot of people... Uh, maybe they have two cars in their family and they just used that Nissan Leaf for the short commute. That's exactly right. I have the same situation kind of in my family. We have a plug-in hybrid and my wife only uses it for her commute to work. And so we only ended up putting gas in that plug-in hybrid once a month. So it's, it's just been really a great saving. And to introduce my wife to that, because she was a little hesitant, it's been a great feel for her. And she's really looking forward to actually moving up to an electric car. Mike, I've noticed that a lot of these German companies are producing these plug-in hybrids. I think BMW has a number of them. Not selling that many, I'm told. What is the popular car on a used market when people are coming in and they're looking at these used EVs? What winds up being the car that you sell the most? I think it's actually all around at this time. There's so much craze with the media and everybody chasing the electric car and the plug-in hybrids that I think people are really starting to be open to actually whatever you point them towards at this time. I mean, you guys have had some more exotic cars. I saw an Audi e-tron here. You've got these Teslas. You've got that Fisker. These Chevy Volts and the Chevy Bolts, like those 50 Chevy Bolts that Lyft is running, that's Bolt with a B. Those cars 
have about 230 miles of range, and I've driven one extensively over a couple of different weekends, and I found that car to be comfortable at highway speeds, and I was very pleased with the range. Yes, it's a, it's a great, reliable uh, little car that gets a, a high range of mileage on it for an electric car without having to break the bank to buy a Tesla or something very expensive. So for 230 miles for a Chevy product, it's really a great car. Like you said, they're fun to zip around town in. They're, they're just amazing cars. We, we've really enjoyed selling electric vehicles. Let me go back to Mosin here for a question about the solar business that you're standing up, Mosin. I know you're doing some solar panels and you're installing chargers. I mean, what do you hope? to have happened with this solar business here going forward? Well, we are hoping to <clears throat> to be able to install solar for commercial, for businesses, for homes, and then combine that with the charger that can actually charge car, where you know the charger is actually connected to the grid, but you are generating solar energy putting into your system and then kind of simulating that charging your car from uh, solar energy, which is a cool thing. If it is a sunny day, you put the power into your car, into your house, into your business. I think it's a great thing, combination of solar, electric car, and electric uh, charging station. So that's what we're hoping to achieve. You've got these solar canopies here. They've been functioning now for a, a good little while. I'm wondering about the performance of those canopies and what your customers say about that solar canopy out there. Are, are you pleased with your investment? I am extremely pleased with my investment. Actually, it is an eye catcher. Everybody that comes here, in particular people who buy electric vehicles, they ask, what is it doing? And the answer is, it's almost powering up the entire building in a sunny day. They get curious about how can I do implement this uh, solution for my home, for my business. And then we talk about it. That's what drives me to have a you know, section of the company that dedicated to installing solar canopies or solar installation and charging station. Mosin, I know that you've kind of personally grown through this and your knowledge of sustainability and technology, you know, from the time that you opened the dealership to getting familiar with all these with all these cars to being able to advise people on, okay, you should, you know, you should get one of these because of, you know, it's a plug-in hybrid and you're able to tell them more about solar. What's been one of the biggest surprises for you as you've learned about clean energy? You know, I knew it is going to be the way of the future. Actually, now in the used market, there is an electric car for every budget, like Mike explained. If your range is 50 miles, 40 miles, or 240 or 340 miles, there are cars that can go that far for for the budget and for the need. My surprise is that how well this battery lasts. Actually, you know, I thought, you know, they will be degrading a lot faster than I thought they would. Early Nissan Leaf, you know, 11 and 12, they had a lot of issue and those are probably the batteries that degrade faster, but the batteries that install on Tesla, they are almost good for 10 years plus. And degradation after 10, 10 years, we see only like 5 or 10%. Not a whole lot. So great cars. When these cars came out, we just didn't know how the batteries are going to perform. And I know on our grid right now, we're installing some batteries. They're not Tesla batteries, but we're, in, we're going to be installing batteries. We don't know how they're going to perform. And Mike, the duty cycle of the car or the way that you drive the car and when you charge it, have you, have you been able to learn about, you know, the best way you know, to charge these cars? Do you let it run all the way down or do you top it off? Or how, What's the charging protocol? Yeah, I think the charging protocol for any battery really is to deplete it down and to charge it back up to about an 80% status. As far as driving, yeah, the car is going to depict how your driving skill is. If you're driving fast, and of course, you're going to get less mileage out of you driving responsible. You're going to sometimes even add to your mileage with regeneration on these vehicles. So, like I said, if you want to if you want to save some power, you want to save some energy, save some money, drive responsibly, go electric. Mike, I had a chance to take a Tesla Model Y on an extensive road trip. Uh, Cobb EMC had the car, and I, 
you know, I mean, I've had the Leaf, I've had the Volt. I'd never had and been in a Tesla for any period of time to see just how cool that system was to tell me when I'm going to be at the charger next and, and how many cars are sitting there and how long I need to sit there to get my range. As you have customers come in that ask you about Teslas, the used ones you have, and I think you've got just about every one of them here, Tell me the different type of customers that are buying Teslas and kind of the questions they're asking. A Tesla purchase these days uh, can be from the average common person who works at Walmart Warehouse or to a Fortune 500 company owner that comes in and buys these Teslas. We're we're seeing the same questions overall. What is the the depletion of the battery being used? Is supercharger still in effect for cars that are grandfathered in? How does that work? We're also seeing a lot of questions on braking system and just overall maintenance on the car itself. tell the truth there's not a lot of maintenance that we're seeing done on these vehicles except for just updates and also taking in for your regular maintenance but not a lot of that happens on these cars as we wrap up this segment i know that you guys are very gracious with people you have this loaner policy and how do you kind of hold the customer's hand down here to make sure that they're not buying something that they wind up being uncomfortable with what care are you taking well we try to fit every person that comes in here to a car that fits their needs and their budget so uh, we listen to the customer and see what they're asking for and what fits them and we try to point them to that direction well it's great having you guys on as a sponsor for our show to really have you as an advocate an ev evangelist here in atlanta i mean you guys have been doing this longer than anybody else and i feel like you guys have the experience and the know-how and we're seeing a lot of emcs purchase cars from you and others that are looking for an ev but not wanting to spend $100,000 or, or $80,000. So, Mosin, Mike, thanks for all you do here in Atlanta. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here. <laughs> all right, thanks once again. And remember, BMVW, we don't just sell cars, man. We also sell solar panels and dreams. EV-hybrid.com. That's EV-hybrid.com. Thanks a lot, guys, for being on the show. Stick around. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. And it is a great day, as always, to be talking about energy and technology, sustainability, and especially ideas to save money in the process. Co-host today is former State Representative John Knoll. He's an energy efficiency expert and owner of Energy and Environment. John, you've done all of the things that we talk about on this show, and uh, it's not cheap to do this, but you certainly have learned uh, the the right way and the wrong way to do uh, solar and batteries. I mean, it's been a good experience for you, and you're sharing that with others, right? As folks want to want to be, uh, you know, good energy stewards. That's right. Yeah. So, in the studio with us today, Casey Boyce. Uh, Casey, it's great to have you. Here, you've owned two electric cars. You're a marketing guru on all things sustainable. Welcome to Energy Matters. Thank you. Great to be here. 
You know, John, we've talked before about retrofits and upgrades that people can make on their homes uh, to save energy. John, as you talk to the typical customer who decides to do insulation or windows or they want to put batteries uh, on their home, what is the typical customer who wants to do energy upgrades? What, what does that customer look like? What's the profile of that customer? Unfortunately, it's often an affluent customer. It's often someone um, that is interested in doing it because they can afford it. Uh, but as LED prices have fallen, and you can go to Home Depot and buy a $1 and $2 LED bulb, now people are starting, everybody's adopting it. But when it comes to doing spray foam insulation, that's a many thousand dollar decision. So a lot of it tears to the affluent customer. And I think what our job here and what the show's job is, is to try and bring ideas that might be lower cost solutions for people so that so that, quote unquote the every man can do some of these sort of things yeah. but but the customers are mostly people who have who, who have a desire to do it and now as electricity prices and other utility costs come up we we see a need for it yeah so we've got listeners who may be thinking hey i, I want to do something this year you know on my home i want to try to help say to save energy and certainly if they're a georgia power customer they can get a free energy audit. Do you normally, John, when you work with a customer, do you normally suggest that they get an energy audit beforehand? Is that something your company's going to do for them? Or are you going to get the power company to do it? We're not. Yeah, I, I, you know, that's a great point. Uh, if you're in Georgia Power Service territory, they'll do a free uh, energy audit. Now, you know, in fairness, and, and it's hard to say no to free, but it's not exactly uh, 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 fully contemplative of the whole property. I mean, it's a, it's a walkthrough, essentially. Uh, blower door tests or some other things that other entities, some of which you can get rebates for from George Power, um, uh, are, are available through other companies. We specialize in the commercial market, so we understand residential customers, but we don't necessarily uh, work specifically with them. Most people are really interested in insulation for comfort. They want to save money, but they're sick and tired of the drafts. So it's that drafty thing that gets people on the insulation piece and on the windows. Yeah, so Casey, you've compiled data about people that do energy efficiency and kind of the nexus between energy efficiency, solar power, and electric cars. So tell me, tell me a little bit about the energy miser, the, the person that is going to spend the money on energy efficiency. Sure. Well, you know, as John said, they they do tend to be a little bit more affluent, but energy efficiency has been around for such a long time that it, it is more or less the mainstream consumer that's adopting it. And there's there's a whole array of things that folks can do to be more efficient, whether it's, you know, whole house spray foam, which can be very invasive and, and expensive, or just changing out light bulbs. Uh, and so when we look at the, you know, the average consumer that's done anything around energy efficiency, you know, they, they care a lot about saving money. They care a lot about comfort, um, uh, as John said. And, you know, it's pretty widely adopted uh, across the country. You know, somewhere around 50% of folks have done some sort of energy efficiency uh, measure to their home. Yeah, and the solar customer, uh, and you know, I regulate energy here in Georgia along with my colleagues working with you know the power company, obviously, and solar has continued to grow in popularity here. Tell me about the typical solar customer that you meet. Yeah, so uh, the typical solar customer looks a little bit different. So it's a, a newer technology, at least as far as mass market adoption is concerned. And so those folks mm-hmm. tend to be uh, more early adopters. They're technology focused. They want the newest and latest thing. Uh, they also tend to be uh, more so than the average population. They tend to be male. Uh, they tend to be pretty well educated and have uh, a fairly high household income. Um, that being said, the interest in solar is really high among everyone. So it's not just a wealthy person's game and uh, you know you've got utilities like Georgia Power and and CobbMC that are making solutions available for folks who don't necessarily have the means to put solar on their house whether it's because you know they don't have the money um, they don't have a roof that's theirs they could be renting um, or they you know could know that they're moving in a couple of years and don't want to put the investment in so um, you know, as far as who's adopted so far, it's it's the wealthier homeowners. As far as who can adopt, the the kind of options are available um, more and more to customers uh, really across the state. So when we did the Solarize program down on Tybee Island, folks know Tybee is a it's the beach of Savannah. There were I think six hundred people who wanted to do solar, but only about ten percent of them wound up mm. being able to because there are issues that come up 
right, John, as you evaluate your house. Uh, talk to me about the about the roof condition, the roof direction, the trees, the you know problems that people. Uh, that that may be there that people never even thought about. That's exactly right. Now, as as we speak, I'm pulling up my not to evade your question. I'm pulling up my app uh, to look at the solar production at my house right now. And at 11:30, I know that the trees that the sun is just coming over the trees, and so. If the trees were to be taller, or if the house were to be in a different position, that 11:30 might be 1:30. Well, heck, then the sun's only shining until really effectively four on that side. So there's all these other ingredients, and I get people all day is, man, I'd love to do solar, but I got trees. I'm a tree proponent. I'm not proposing we cut trees down, but there are, there are avenues, opportunities, and customers and bases that are more adapt to for solar than others. My house at this moment is, but at 9:30 you'd say it wasn't. Yeah. So, Casey, you think about uh, the age of a roof, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, these panels, they're drilling holes up there, right? And so uh, does does a person need to think about the age of their roof? Do they need to replace the roof before they get solar? Potentially, and and that's where a good solar company can help you make that evaluation. So you think Mm -hmm. about the equipment and the panels and the inverters, all the other equipment that you put up there should have a lifetime of at least 25 years, uh, which is, you know, comparable with a good roof, right? So, you know, you want to have a relatively new roof before you put the panels on. Otherwise, at some point in the future, before those panels need to be replaced, you're going to have to pull them off the roof, replace the roof, and then put them back on, which adds expense. Uh, So, you know, I, I know someone personally who was very interested in the solarized Decatur Decab program and uh, wanted to put solar on on their roof but their roof had hail damage and so they were waiting to replace the roof before they put the panels up there because they didn't want to go through the trouble and expense of you know pulling the panels off and putting them back up as they did their roof now not to get into tax minutiae but for those that are their numbers crunchers and like to uh, stick it to the man when it comes to Uncle Sam there are commercial people who say, look, my roof is old. It needs to be replaced right now anyway. If I put a solar system on, and I wonder if this is true for residential, so talk to your tax advisor about this, but is it possible then, and and some people tell me it's true on the commercial roofs, if you put a new roof on while you're doing solar, that new roof or a portion thereof is tax creditable, which is a big deal because it's a very expensive thing. So uh, I've seen solar companies make this argument, and I think the IRS has agreed that there's a reasonable amount of that roof that can be tax creditable. How about the the EV driver? Tell me about the typical EV customer, Casey. Yeah, so the typical EV customer looks a lot like the typical solar customer. So it tends to be younger, more well-educated, male, uh, more affluent. Um, again, as some newer models come on the market, um, we are seeing you know interest beyond that customer profile that I just uh, described, um, and you know more fo- folks able to afford vehicles um, that you know not only are EVs but match their lifestyle. Um, but really, there is a a very strong kind of cross adoption between folks who drive EVs and have solar and vice versa. Uh, it seems that, you know, there's an affinity for new technology among adopters of both. And, you know, clearly uh, you get uh, interested in the new technologies there. You've had a couple of EVs yourself. Has I it have. been a good experience for your family? It's been a great experience. We've really enjoyed it. Uh, and in fact, my kids who are uh, 10 and, and 8 have started becoming EV evangelists and telling folks that they should buy electric vehicles. We really haven't found any limitations with our EVs, and we've got a couple of the earlier, shorter range versions. So folks who are going out and shopping for a new EV right now uh, are going to run into even fewer limitations. Yeah, so you've had a couple. I've had three, and mine have all been shorter range EVs. And I also found that, you know, having an EV in the family, somebody was going on a short run that day, whether it's to school or to the grocery store. Uh, and or even me driving to the capital, it was 54 miles and I could charge there as long as I didn't have a lot of other areas to, that I needed to go to. But it was really something where if you planned, it would work. And, John, you've got a longer-range EV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And and, and I, But I still plan, too. I thought about it before I came up here. You know, it's uh, 65 miles from Atlanta to here. Uh, and so I had about 190 miles of range. And if I want a hot rod, and I occasionally will do that in the HOV lane, well, then – you got to you got to account for that. I'm a numbers guy. What is the adoption numbers on those EV? Yeah, so uh, when we look nationally, adoption is in the low single digits percentages, um, which kind of squares with. what But we're isn't seeing. it coming up? 
It is coming up. Mm. So, uh, in fact, I just saw some numbers the other day that uh, in California, 10% of new vehicle 10%. registrations were EVs. And um, what's interesting, when we look at our data nationally, is that there's more interest about this stuff in the South than there is even in California. Yeah, that's cool. Hey, I want to keep this conversation going uh, about EVs because they are tutors and uh, and can really help people learn about energy saving. So let's continue talking with Casey Boyce and about all things that we've learned from electric vehicles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Tim Eccles for Marlin Gas Services. As the port continues to grow, more and more trucking companies are using natural gas in their trucks instead of diesel. Marlin Gas Services is helping to usher in this clean opportunity. With their specialized rigs, they create virtual pipelines with all the equipment and expertise to provide reliable, clean natural gas. Marlin Gas is the company that gas utilities, pipeline companies, and industrial facilities turn to. See MarlinGas.com for more information. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMW Auto Sales. COVID-19 has changed everything, even buying a car. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, not only sanitizes every car, but you can buy it online and they'll trailer it to your home anywhere in Georgia and surrounding states. They've used electric cars, plug-in hybrids, and traditional hybrids. Check out the inventory at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. They have a three-day loaner period as well if you want to make sure electric works for you. Check them out at ev-hybrid.com. Hey, welcome back to Energy Matters. Uh, Casey Boyce, my host with me. Casey, how's it going? Good, Tim. Casey, I just uh, played a Zoom call that I did with the Department of Energy. Stephen Boyd was their expert, and uh, and Matthew, uh, an expert with Volkswagen. And Volkswagen had said on the call that they really want to sell their cars in all 50 states, not in just carb states or certain areas. They want their... ID3, ID4, their cars should be available to everyone. I'm not really hearing other manufacturers say that. Yeah, you know, a lot of the manufacturers are wanting to do that. I mean, Kia and Hyundai, the problem is the supply, right? They've got to get the batteries. And so it, it's tough for some of these manufacturers and, and others are really focusing on uh, the carb states because they need to sell EVs for regulatory compliance. Explain this regulatory compliance scheme, I'll call it for lack of better words. I mean, it's working, right? It's worked for Elon Musk. Uh, explain how how this works. Yeah, so basically the way that uh, the California Air Resources Board has set it up is that Automakers that want to sell vehicles in California and other states that have adopted these rules, there's about 10 of them nationwide, uh, have to sell a certain percentage of zero emission vehicles. You can do that with an electric vehicle. You can do that with a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. Um, and if you don't do that, then you have to buy credits from another automaker who has sold more than they need to. Yeah. So I heard that Jaguar was buying a lot of those Tesla credits so that they could sell more Jaguars in California. Is that does that make sense to you? It does. I, I don't know the specifics of Jaguar, but I do know that um, you know Chrysler, which has has kind of uh, put its stock in big uh, gas thirsty V8s. Um, you know, they've had to buy a lot of uh, credits from Tesla to make make things work. So you know Tesla's made a lot of money off of that. That really is part of Tesla's economic plan, I think, for their company, right? Uh, being able to sell those credits. Yeah. Well, Tim, we had a number of questions folks uh, asked us from Twitter. We put out the call and said, what do you want us to talk about? And, and we had a couple of folks that uh, responded, uh, one, very much in the vein of what we've been talking about, Lang Reynolds, uh, at Lang Reynolds said, 100% EV content. And I guess uh, my recommendation for Lang would be go back and listen to past episodes. We'll link some in, uh, in Twitter, uh, some of our, our EV shows. 
but one that's maybe more particular to this you know question of Volkswagen and wanting to sell in all 50 states uh, Caitlin Monahan uh, she's at Monahan Caitlin on Twitter um, she wants us to talk about direct EV sales in Georgia um, and uh, Tim what's what's the issue with direct EV sales we originally got direct EV sales for Don Panis who the late Don Panis he died uh, on September 11th 2018 he created the Panis Roadster that's P-A-N-O-Z you can google it and see it and this was kind of a custom-made car and they got a carve out to make I think 150 units a year and be able to direct sell them. And and when we're talking direct sell, we're, we're saying the manufacturer can sell directly to the end user and not go through a dealership, right? Right. Uh, anything else had to be sold through a dealer. I know Rivian uh, just recently tried to get a carve out for themselves here in Georgia and they failed to do that. Tesla did get a carve out in, I believe it was 16, um, but they had two high-powered lobbyist. One of them was Lewis Massey, a Democrat who was the former Secretary of State, and the other one was Bruce Bowers, whose father was an attorney general here. So that money was well spent by Tesla because they were able to get that carve-out. Rivian came in here, and I like the Rivian people, and I certainly met with them. I'm trying to help them get chargers in state parks, but You don't come in here from Plymouth, Michigan or California and try to tell Georgians, you know, how to live their lives and how to in changing the law. You just can't you can't ignore protocol, longstanding history, the status quo and the power of the Georgia Automobile Dealers Association, which uh, which frankly, all of these car dealers knew and used are members. And think about this, that Cox Enterprises, even though they made a $350 million contribution to Rivian, Rivian, an investment, that because they own Mannheim Auctions, they got some blowback, Casey, from dealers who sell their wholesale cars at those auctions. That What in the world are you doing, Cox, investing in an organization that wants to undo the dealer laws in the state of Georgia? Hmm. Well, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because, I, you know, I, I can say this not uh, being in politics, at least right now, may come back to, to haunt me. But look, I, I think you hit on the, the thing um, that's really key here is the power of the dealerships in Georgia. And, you know, there definitely are exceptions to this. But um, for the most part, people who are buying cars don't like going to dealers. Um, and so, you know, from from you know where I sit, one of the things that Tesla really has done right is this direct sales model. And there are other companies like Rivian and and Lucid and others that are are trying to replicate that rather than standing up dealer networks, which kind of goes into this model that that people don't really like. So, you know, I think ultimately, I hope will either you know change the laws to allow for companies like that to do those direct sales uh, models to consumers. Or, you know, kind of the win-win is that dealerships figure it out and, and start creating a better customer experience for folks who are, are going to buy cars. So you recently bought a new EV. Where did you buy your EV? And how was that experience? <laughs> All right. So um, I just bought a Polestar 2, uh, and this is a new EV brand, and they are saying that the process is much like Tesla, that it's all online and, you know, you never have to go into a dealership, but they're partnering with existing dealerships. And so I kind of got the worst of both worlds. The online stuff was not set up yet. So all of the information in there was either wrong or buggy or things like that. And I ended up connecting with the dealership uh, that uh, that they partner with. There's only one on the East Coast right now. There are more coming, including Atlanta later in the year. But the one that they've got right now is up in Manhattan in New York. Uh, so I was dealing with an out-of-state dealer um, with a new brand with a buggy website. And, you know, I ultimately got the car. It's fine. I love the car, um, but the buying experience was uh, not what was promised, for sure. Well, Carvana certainly is a popular way to buy cars. People Absolutely, are, are doing that. That's not violating. That's not violating anything. So they, they there, there are workarounds for this. Absolutely. Um, uh, and you just, you know, when you're when you're trying to change public policy, one, it's better to do it incrementally 
anyway. Uh, but you, you, there, there's certain things that you've got to respect. I mean, no matter what party you're in, no matter whether you think you're right or not, there's this – the Leadership Institute in Washington where I take kids to, they teach um, – a class on campaign and politics. And one of the first things they say is that there are a lot of people that have this Sir Galahad theory of politics, that I will win because I am right. And you know what? Being right doesn't always matter uh, when it comes to politics. There's just things that that there, there are rules that you have to follow. There's, there's spoken and unspoken things. It's why KC lobbyists are able to command the kind of money that they are able to command because they have this unique set of you know skill set. They have that that little book of knowledge that no one else has, and they're able to go down to the legislature and they're able to convince people. Yeah, this 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 is the way. This is the way that you know that it happens, and that frustrates some people, Casey. That people are cynical. They're mad. Oh, I wish it wasn't like that. Well, look, wish all you want to. Uh, I mean, it's why I created Teen Pack and take kids to 50 state capitals, because I wanted conservative kids to understand the process, how it worked, to respect it, to understand the majority, the minority, and and that it changes. I mean, all of these things. I I mean, we normally don't talk about this on Energy Matters, right? All of this political stuff necessarily. But in this case, Casey Rivian is not going to be able to sell their cars here because maybe they chose the wrong the wrong path, right, for, for, for changing the law. Well, and, and I think there's another piece, too, and, and your point is very well taken, right? Participating in the political process is important, um, but politicians ultimately, you know, you're an elected official, you answer to your voters, right? And so, you know, if people aren't engaged in these issues with their elected officials, um, you know, it's, it's much more difficult for someone to come in and say, hey, we need to change things, um, you know, because they're just not hearing from their constituents that things need to be changed. And there are others who have uh, spoken to them that say, no, 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 things are working the way that they need to. So, you know, I definitely think understanding the political process is important when you're looking at some of these uh, these laws. Right. Hey, let's wrap it up with one more question. Casey, and, uh, and, and uh, let's, let's hear from our audience. Yeah, so uh, last question that we'll handle here in just a, a minute or two. Dave in Pensacola, uh, who's at Dave in Pensacola on Twitter, says, I frequently receive email offers that promise no money down ways to obtain solar for my home. What are the pitfalls with that offer? Are any legit? Uh, and, and I'll go ahead and just jump in and say, yeah, they're absolutely legit. It's, it's you know, financing. And so these are companies that are giving you a loan to put solar on your home uh, and they can offer it with no money down. I think, you know, the potential pitfalls is that you've got a larger uh, loan and, you know, maybe you're paying more each month. Um, and so I definitely encourage anyone who is looking to go solar to think about it in the same way as if you were buying a car or, you know, taking out any other sort of loan. Yeah, good advice. Uh, get get more than one quote. Go to PickMySolar.com and they'll send you a couple of quotes. So, hey, coming up in our next segment, we've got Austin Gaffney. She wrote a great article that I've tweeted out about rare earth metals uh, coming out of coal ash. So stick around. We're going to talk about coal ash in the next segment. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com. ev hybridcom 
This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. Hey, welcome back to Energy Matters. This is Tim Eccles. One more segment today. My co-host is always Casey Boyce from Decatur. Casey? Hey, it's good to good to be here and good to have Austin on. This is going to be a really interesting conversation over the next 12 or so minutes. Yeah, we've got Austin Gaffney on. Uh, own with us today. Austin, welcome to Energy Matters. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. You went to Transylvania in Lexington and then to UK uh, for your graduate degree. But wow, whenever I go to Austin, those thoroughbred farms, those fences, the beauty of it. I mean, you just ride around your, your, your community and it's just gorgeous up there, isn't it? Yeah, it's a beautiful state. Lots of good bluegrass, lots of white fences, lots of Coal mines. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You have heard anyone us. say beautiful and coal mines in the same uh, sentence. Wow. But okay, let's she, run with she, it. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's go with it. Austin wrote an article for the Sierra Club. Um, she's a writer. Uh, and this article talked about rare earth elements. And Casey, one thing we got a lot in Georgia, uh, besides just Nissan Leafs, we got a lot of a lot of coal ash. Um uh, 80 million tons of it, I think. Uh, and we're certainly trying to provide some beneficial use for it. But it's it is an expensive thing. And it's costing our ratepayers a fortune. Let me let's get into this with Austin. Austin, first, why did you want to write this article? So I've been writing about coal ash for a while, beginning with um, a large industrial disaster that happened in 2008 in Tennessee called the Kingston Coal Ash Spill. So ever since writing about that, I've been curious what the solution is for these billions of tons of coal ash that exist in 1,400 sites across the country. Um, So in investigating that, I discovered this new research around rare earth elements. Yeah, give us the the Reader's Digest version of your article for our listeners. So the article is about different solutions called beneficial use that are used um, to recycle essentially coal ash right now. So it's not all stored in landfills. Some of those uses are um, more popular than others. uh, And one of the current solutions by the Department of Energy is to recycle it for rare earth elements, this clump of metals um, at the bottom of the periodic table that no one really hears about, but exist in our iPhones, exist in all our energy storage for renewables. So there's something that we need for the future, um, but that we don't currently have a great domestic supply for. You know, I don't know if you've done the math. I've asked Georgia Power about this uh, as we've talked about cement and using it, uh, you know, with, with cement. How many years would it take to use up 80 million tons of this stuff. And it is a long, long number. But, you know, I, I think, Austin, the good news is as coal plants continue to close, uh, that that ash is going to be in uh, in a more limited supply and it's going to continue to be used. And eventually, it may take 100 years, 200 years, but eventually it probably goes away. Have you thought about how long it's going to take if if the rare earth element movement takes off and if we if we find another use for it? Uh, in terms of rare earth elements, it will take a long time because there's only a very small fraction of rare earth elements that come out of coal ash. So one of the questions that the article deals with is whether it's even a viable solution for what to deal to do with this coal ash, because compared to mining rare earth elements, it's an extremely small percentage that we get from coal ash. Well, so, so Tim, I think one of the things that is worth noting here is this, this beneficial use of coal ash is really key to reducing the expense, right? You talked about the issue that we've got here in Georgia with all of the coal ash and um, cleaning it up appropriately and finding a market for it is really key. And I, I don't know if I've told you, but um, when we did our uh, big renovation of our house, um, we actually chose a, uh, it's like a hardy board, so like a cement siding, but it uses coal ash as 
as a replacement. And I know, Austin, that's one of the things that you talk about in your article. But when you're able to use it as a feedstock for something else, that turns it from kind of a cost into potentially a revenue generator for folks that run these coal ash disposal disposal ponds. Right, Austin? Yeah, that's true. So as long as coal ash can be reused in what is called an, an encapsulated form, versus an unencapsulated form, um, it's that's a popular use for it. So cement, wallboard, these are things where the coal ash is kept and prevented from being dispersed out onto the landscape. Um, so that's a use that's supported by lots of environmental groups. It's supported by the EPA. Um, and it's right now the major use of coal ash. Over 70% is reused as cement. So especially as you're reading about things like we're running out of sand, for example, that's a good replacement for sand as well as we deal with that situation. Well, and it's interesting thinking about the the rare earth elements because you, you point out in your article that, you know, the amount of rare earths in coal ash isn't quite as, as concentrated, I guess, uh, is the right way of saying it, as it is in places where rare earths are currently mined. But I think that that, you know, looking at the uh, clean tech in a, uh, industry, people recognize that there are potentially issues with getting these rare earths. Like you look at Tesla, which is making a very concerted effort away from including cobalt in their batteries um, to, to try and, you know, create batteries that are, um, you know, use iron or other more uh, easily accessible uh, minerals. So uh, as you sort of think about this, Austin, and, you know, given that coal ash doesn't have that same concentration. Is that still part of the solution, though, to reduce, you know, the need to mine new rare earths and provide a supply for some of these new energy technologies? So I think right now the answer that my sources would give is that it depends on cost. So it is right now too expensive to get rare earths from coal ash um, compared to mining them or getting them from China, where the majority of our rare earths come from. Over 70 percent come from China. Um So it would need to have a big financial push, big financial lift from industry outside of the Department of Energy in order to be a sustainable way to extract rare earths. Currently, they can reuse the coal ash after rare earths are extracted. It can be reused into something like Portland cement. But until there is financial support from industry, it's too expensive. Hey, Austin, I had a company called Energy Vault call on me. And in fact, I'm going to their Switzerland facility as I go to the World Nuclear Exhibition, which I do every two years in Paris. I'll be doing this in December. And then I'm going to divert from there to Zurich to look at a nuclear power plant there that's providing steam to a cardboard uh, factory and district heating for a community. And then on down to this energy vault test facility where they're taking coal ash putting it into blocks that weigh a couple of tons. And they essentially take these blocks and during the, the nighttime lift these blocks up in a, in a massive tower. And during the daytime, during peak energy usage, they lower this and, and, and reap the benefits of the kinetic energy. Did that come up in any of your research using it? using that coal ash to make blocks and then to to treat it almost as a form of energy storage? No, I've I've never heard about that, but it does sound like an interesting usage of it. I think any way that you can responsibly reuse a material to create energy is an interesting thing to look into. Casey, we'll see how effective that is. Georgia Power has looked at it. They're a little bit skeptical, so I'm anxious to see see it for myself. Yeah, I'm a little skeptical, too, and I'll be interested to, to hear what you find. Um, so, Austin, in our last couple of minutes here in this segment, I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, given your work in, in, you know, thinking about looking at coal ash, Tim and his colleagues on the Public Service Commission have recently gone through, and I suspect we'll probably continue to go through conversations with Georgia Power and others about how to handle coal ash here in, in Georgia, what advice would you give to them uh, as they're thinking about this and others who are concerned about, um, you know, properly uh, dealing with coal ash here in the state? 
I think the biggest thing that I hear while doing my reporting is that communities wish they were heard more. Um, And that goes both ways. So for example, there was an Alabama reporter story today about a native community in Alabama who felt like they weren't being heard and wanted to keep the coal ash in place versus it being removed. And then there's a lot of other communities who want to see all of the coal ash removed from unlined landfills. So I think the biggest thing would be to hear what a community wants and to work responsibly with them to make sure that their goals are being met, whether that's uh, capping coal ash in place or whether that's removing it to a properly aligned landfill. Hey, Casey, this reminds me of the conversation I had with the Three Tribes Reservation in North Dakota. Speaking of not hearing from Native communities, they're sitting on one of the biggest shale plays, you know, in in America. They have essentially rebuilt their heritage center, their schools with the with the royalties off of this this you know this drilling revenue. And I, I don't hear anybody hearing from them about that. I mean, I think too often we we maybe silence the folks that you know don't have our opinion or whatever. But there are a lot of things that are going on you know, that that we just need a more robust discussion on. Absolutely. Well, and, and Tim, I know you're not too shy about tooting your horn, but I'll, I'll toot it for you that, you know, uh, Tim's very accessible. He's at Tim Eccles on Twitter. I'm at Casey Boyce on Twitter. Uh, the show is at Matters Radio. And we'll we'll tweet out Austin's article for folks who are interested in reading. It's a really fascinating article, really well-researched. Um, and Austin, just really glad to have you on, Tim. Yeah, thank you, Austin, for being on the show today, and I'm anxious to hear what folks think about your your fine article. Thank you, Austin. Thanks, y'all, for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Energy Matters. Tune in every week or catch any of our back episodes at WGAURadio.com on demand or anywhere you get your podcast. Just search for Energy Matters with Commissioner Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Have a great day, everyone. Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com. Solarsunworld.com. Come.